What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It is David and Isaac. One of our favorite times of the year. Unfortunately, it's a little bit earlier than we wanted it to be this year. We uh, we love the draft talk. We've been doing this. This is man. Is this year three or four that we've been doing this, Isaac? I don't remember, man. I want to. I want to say year four. Um, I think that's right. I can't remember the first class that we covered together, but the the draft has always been something that's been intriguing to me. And since we started the podcast, we're like, man, we need some content for the off season. Why not talk about the draft? We are going to do something a little bit different than what we typically do. We typically start with guys that are going to be in the Grizzlies range and save the top, like the top end guys for later in our draft coverage. But we're starting at the top. We, we actually, we, we've got one guy, the Grizzlies worked out. Uh, I, what, what's his name? Slaw. Like, <laughs> I, he got slaw in his name, so we're gonna go <laughs> ahead and pass on him because it already that tells you everything you need to know. Slaw is in the name. <laughs> Ow! Don't don't say no. Uh, Jalen Slawson. We're gonna talk about him. He had a heck of a NCAA tournament. He, uh, I think he put the country on notice about his skills and abilities in that matchup against Virginia. So uh, the Grizzlies worked him out. We're definitely going to. We're going to cover him first, and then we're going to get into uh, pretty well the consensus top four with uh, Victor, Scoot, and the Thompson twins. So Isaac, start us off, man. I I, I watched some film on Slauson and just kind of done some study, and I, I had honestly, he was not a guy that was on my radar at all prior to the tournament, and I know it's risky, right, when when you look at a guy – that has a massive tournament, you don't want to put all of the stock whenever you're scouting this guy into what he done on the tournament because these guys can get hot at the right time and kind of inflate what their value would be. But I, th- I think if you go back and you watch tape on Slauson, there's plenty of stuff there to indicate that he's definitely NBA talent. What's, what's, your, uh, what's your biggest like from him? Yeah, when, when it comes to, to Slauson, man, when – I saw the Grizzlies were working him out, and I, I remember him from the NCAA tournament playing for Furman. Um, you kind of look back at his stats. He's a fifth-year senior, and I think that's the reason why you don't really see him on draft boards. I mean, draft, the, the NBA goes a lot on potential. Um, and the Grizzlies have kind of marched to the beat of their own drum. I'm, we've seen this year in and year out, whereas you're talking about Xavier Tillman, who was a guy that we didn't even cover uh, that year when we thought our draft coverage. He wasn't really – showing up on boards and this guy I know by attrition no doubt was starting for you in the playoffs and playing major minutes um it was a guy that wasn't even showing up on draft boards was you talking about Vince Williams Jr. uh was another guy that wasn't showing up on draft boards last year they drafted it on the two-way and you can even take that back to Santi Aldama a guy who they moved up to the 30th pick and selected I think there was some rumors that I think Utah might have been wanted to take him in the 30s but he wasn't a guy that was on our radar either we didn't cover him during our draft coverage and I think that year we covered probably even more than the consensus top 60 guys, and he wasn't one of the guys that they covered. So Grizzlies don't mind taking these older older guys that are that are more ready to come in and contribute. And Jaden Slauson is not a guy that's really showing up on mock, mock right now, uh, but they have worked him out. Like I said, uh, 6'7", 210, uh, fifth-year senior out of Furman, 23 years old, so he's an older guy, uh, 15.6 points, 7.1 rebounds, 3.2 assists, uh, 1.5 steals, a block and a half a game. 39.4% from three um, on three attempts a game. Shot 78% from the free throw line and 55.6% from the field. So you can tell by those numbers uh, that that he's versatile, uh, that he brings versatility. And if you go back and look at his stats, he got better and better in, in each of his five years uh, at Furman. I mean, as soon as I turned the tape on, man, I I knew why the Grizzlies were interested. Uh, definitely fits the MO because kind of some of the things I've laid out uh, a second ago. He's super versatile. Um, he'll likely be able to guard the three through five, uh, gets a ton of chase down blocks. I mean, he's a good defender, man. Beats guys at the rim, really has a really high defensive IQ, uh, makes the right rotations and reads on defense. He's a dogged defender on ball, uh, strong and extremely physical, uh, defender. He's a guy that actually likes, likes to play defense and takes pride on that end. And you always like that. You, you like the guys. We had a guy here in, in Dylan Brooks that, that took pride on that end and that, is what this front office likes. Uh, they like those type of guys. They're scrappy, plays hard, doesn't always have always have the, the requisite size or physical traits, but they go out there and and 
work hard and play hard, man. The Slauson definitely fits that. Um, he guards really well in space. Um, he moves his feet, uh, makes it tough for guys to get clean, clean looks off of it. Uh, he has quick hands, so it allows him to get steals on ball. Uh, man, just I, I love it. When you watch him on, on defense, man, you just, again, man, he picks up full court. He's just one of those guys that loves to play on the defensive end. Uh, so when you look at his film, defense is the first thing that sticks out to you. Uh, I, I talked about him shooting 40% from three. You like that as well. But I think his best skill set on the on the NBA level, if he makes it, is going to be on the defensive end. Because, again, the versatility, he's only 6'7", uh, but I think he's a guy that's going to be able to guard the three two five. I think one of the, the the drawbacks to him is he bit of a, he's a bit of a tweener. I think he's probably best suited to be a small ball four. Um, and, and with that size, that's kind of small. Maybe he needs to get a little bit bigger. But he's a fifth year senior. Um, and, and that, like I said earlier, the NBA kind of drafts guys on potential. And you've been in college five years, seeing the fact that he's a little bit on the size. He's probably better as a four at six seven two oh four. That's not fantastic. So that's probably why you're not seeing him on draft boards. But when you watch him on film, man, there's a lot of things to like. Like I said, the versatility on on, on defense and, and who he'll be able to guard, I, I think is what the biggest positive for him is. What did you see on film, David? Uh, first, I got to squash something, man. You, you said he's an older guy. This man's 20, 23 years old. He's an older prospect. But it, it drives me crazy when guys get their age held against them. Like, if they're well, that, that's definitely what it is. That's definitely yeah, what it is. Like, if they're 28 years old coming out of college, that's one thing. But the average retirement age for the NBA is like north of 36 years old. So at 23, he can have a 12 to 13 year NBA career, and that's still a a, a really good career. Like that's a good range. So I like I I know that that's something just in general that there's a lot more. 19 year old guys getting drafted. And so people are like, Oh, I, you know, I, I don't know about a 22 or 23 year old for me. I don't think there should be as much weight in that because a guy coming in at 22, 23 years old can still give you a lot of years of peak production. And you never know like what's an 18 or 19 year old kid going to do not, not every 18 or 19 year old kid can come out and produce in their first few years. And so do you really end up with any more production from those kids than you do from a guy that's 22 or 23 years old? Um, as far as what I saw on tape, I, th- there were a lot of stuff that you mentioned, but I like his ability to make decisions. If you watch, you can see him a lot of times with the ball in his hand late in the shot clock. And even when it is kind of a, a, a decision, like a last second, you have yeah. to make the decision. Does a great yeah, job he, finding guys. Yeah. Like he seems, seems to just kind of stay even kill. And that's not, some guys panic. And whenever you get the ball and you got four seconds to make a decision, some guys freak out and they take bad shots or they make bad passes and I'm not saying that he doesn't make any mistakes, but he, he's pretty good, like end of the shot clock decision maker. The thing that he's, like, be, he's old, no, I'm just playing. Oh man. <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing that worries me about him is kind of what you mentioned that the undersized four thing, the, yeah. the Grizzlies have Kenneth Lofton Jr. They have Xavier Tillman. They, uh, you know, like, there's a lot of guys that are kind of undersized for that position. And while, while Slauson's footwork is good, there's not a lot of perimeter guys in the NBA. I think he's really going to be able to keep up with. So like that, that three, four, sometimes maybe a five, he's going to hold up. It's going to depend on who who the matchup is, but I, I don't know that there's a two in the league that I would be comfortable sticking him on so it's it's kind of that, okay, yeah, the Grizzlies need size on the wing. He shoots 34% over his last two seasons uh, at Furman. He shot 34% from three. Is that enough? Like, is his shot enough floor spacing to give up that size? And for me, there are so many guys in this draft class that are 6'5 to 6'10", that have wing skills that 
like I, I understand I get you know what you said where this seems like a Grizzlies guy because of the way that he plays. But I would prefer that they take somebody that's more slotted for a wing position than kind of what Slauson is. And that's you know, it guys like X can be, you know, we saw what X can do for this team and what he's capable of, and that's great. But the Grizzlies don't need more undersized fours on this team. The Grizzlies need spacing. And so to me, if you're not if you're taking a big, take a big. If not, you should be looking for spacing. Yeah, uh, I, de- I definitely agree with that. I think that's probably one of the reasons why outside of, like I said, man, it's not me saying this, but the NBA just shies away from these older prospects. Like you see these guys that are seniors with big time numbers and they're not even on draft boards. And this is another guy who who had big numbers. I mean, he actually shot 39.4% from three this season. Uh, but I, I guess for his career, I think that's, the highs, I think he improved every season. Yeah, he um, did. But, I mean, offensively, I mean, he showed some point forward skills. Um, he's a really good passer. I mean, he's a really good good playmaker. But I, I think the fact that he's probably best suited for to be a small ball four, I think is what kind of makes it tricky to, to be a guy that they bring in on his roster. Now, I know with the new CBA, they're going to have three two-way spots. But, I mean, if you're talking about this, he's not super young. Again, I hate to keep going back to that. But putting him on a two-way and you putting him down in South Haven, I mean, a guy that played in college for five years, I mean, if, at 23, you don't think that there's a whole lot of potential there. Like, he, like, And then, again, that's the reason why they kind of view it this way, is once you, you've been in college for five years, you're 23 years old, you think a guy kind of pretty much is what he's going to be. There might be some upside there, but there's probably not a lot a lot of upside. He's not going to get any quicker. I mean, he's he's probably best suited as a small ball four. Um, and you don't, that's a tough position to be in as a prospect. You don't want to be pigeonholed as a small ball for a guy that really needs to play the forward six, seven, two Oh five or whatever, wherever he weighs. I think that's what I got down here. You don't want to be pigeonholed in a position to where you're an undersized forward. That's just not a spot you want to be in. And I, and I don't really see the way the, the roster shut, shapes up right now. I really don't see a path for him being a, a, a main roster guy. Cause I mean, you already have a, a forward that you develop in, and Vince Williams Jr. is just doesn't seem like a, a a guy that makes a lot of sense for their roster setup. Even on a two way, you want to look at a guy saying, "Okay, this guy has a path to the main roster." And looking at it right now, unless something changes, he doesn't look like a guy that really fits that that mold. Yeah, and and to me, I want to see you know because Vince is more of a wing, right? You know, they're they're around the same size as far as height, but but Vince is is much more fleet of foot. And he's going to be more likely to keep up with the wings in the league. So I'd rather see those minutes go to him. Although I, I honestly hope that we don't see any Vince Williams minutes at all next year because the roster is upgraded. But I'm, I'm not going to go down that path. It's a, it's a draft episode. But yeah, like for me, this is this is a guy like I think that there are going to be teams looking at him. I think he's going to end up getting drafted somewhere in the second round because of the skill set that he has. He can handle the ball very well for his size. He is a good decision maker. I'd say a plus playmaker. And with it, you know, the, the, those shooting numbers going up each year, that's going to translate in the NBA. But I, I just don't think that there is a slot for the Grizzlies to go out and draft a guy like that because of current roster composition. But, you know, who knows? They they may make a liar out of me and, and draft him anyway. We'll, we'll see what happens. So, Isaac, let, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, kind of consensus top four here. You want to start at four and work our way to one, or how do you want to do this, man? Um, yeah, I mean, we could start with the the Thompson brothers, uh, Ahmed and Asur Thompson. Uh, crazy man to have two twin brothers slotted to go in the top five. Like I can't imagine how proud those kids' parents are. Um, and, and imagine the the competitions they had growing up uh, um, to, to have two players of that level, um, elite basketball players. Uh, that That's amazing, man. And I, I think that's just a really, really, really cool situation. Uh, but we'll start off with uh, Asar Thompson, 6'7", 207 pounds. Um, the difference between the two, I think Asar plays a little bit bigger. I mean, he only weighs five pounds, but more. But I think he plays a little bit bigger. I think Asar is more of a 
a two three. Um, I, I think Amend is more of a a combo shooting guard, point guard. Uh, but we'll start with Asar. Uh, like I said, twenty twenty years old, six seven, two oh seven, sixteen wingspan, averaged uh, sixteen point three points, uh, seven rebounds, six assists, one point three blocks, two point seven assists. Uh, only shot thirty percent from the three point range, and I, I've noticed that when you look at these kids from overtime, uh, overtime elite or uh, G League at night, they never really have good three point shoot numbers. Like I don't know if I've ever all of these prospects, even I don't even think Jaden Hardy was a he's a looked at as being a shooter. I think he only, he was only shooting like thirty two percent at uh, G League at night. These guys for some reason never have good three point shoot numbers. I don't know what what that is, but kind of the same with with these two prospects, but. Uh, defensive potential for for Asar is is the first thing that you jumps off the field when you watch it. For me, um, I, I think he can guard the one through three right now, and maybe even possibly the four um, as as he continues to get stronger. Uh, I mean, he's a flat out dog, man. And in ISO defensive situations, uh, he, he reacts really well and, and beats guys to spots. Um, he like he likes to pick up way out on the floor um, and, and make guys work. Um, a good shot blocker for a guy six seven, average. 1.3 box per game. Uh, definitely bring some rim protection on, on the weak side. Super high defensive IQ. Just one of those guys, man, that just seems to instinctively know where to be on the floor. Uh, a big, big time athlete, uh, just like his brother. Uh, has excellent body control to improvise and find ways to, to finish at the basket. Uh, scored almost six points per game in, in transition. Uh, we can take the basketball coast to coast, push it up the floor. Uh, I mean, just. I love him, man. I, I love both of these kids. I love what I saw on film. And again, I think I saw is more in that, that two, three mode. Um, I think he'll play some small forward as well. Um, and just a, a big time athlete again, man, really good defender, um, needs to work on his jump shot. Uh, that's not really a, a strong suit of his, but finishing at the rim, uh, being a playmaker, I think are and playing defense are things that I think translate immediately. I think again, Continue to work on his jump shot is going to be the question with him going to the NBA, but he's definitely elite defensively and as an athlete. And those are two things that can't teach. So you have those two skills coming in, man. I, I think you're in, in really good shape. Yeah. I think the one of the, the biggest differences between the two is like that shot form. And, and I feel like he, his form just looks a little bit smoother. There was a stretch close to the end of the season where he was shooting 34% from three. You saw his free throw percentage come up to where his brother struggled. Um, you know, his, his shooting numbers, his ear shooting numbers are better than I, I, I'm in. But one thing that you haven't mentioned is his playmaking ability. And you didn't really see him with the ball in his hand a ton whenever you're watching film. But when you did see him with the ball in his hands, he he has the ability to pass his teammates open, and that's something you know. The elite athleticism, the great point of attack defender, the great help side defender, the the things, the other tools that he has, you keep those, you hone those, and then you start working on some of these secondary tools and that, that playmaking ability as, as a secondary playmaker on a team that has a good primary point guard, having a guy on the wing that can help create for his teammates is going to be huge. Um, I think this kid can play straight out of the gate. Like day one, he's going to be able to go out and defend NBA level talent. And, and I, I feel like watching the film, he wants to be that, like he wants to be a good defender because you can see him. Isaac talked about him picking people up, you know, pretty far out there. Like as soon as they're bringing it across half court, he's out there picking them up and putting pressure on him. There were a number of times in film where you see him kind of, you know, slap away and get a steal. He plays the passing lanes really well. So a lot of good things defensively from him. Um, and I think w when you're talking about him and his brother, the the offensive game is really where both of them are going to have to to work on it. And now I'm, I'm in is, is more of a point guard, and he's a very good initiator. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about Scoot and, and Isaac and I were kind of talking a little bit off air and how I, I'm in is a guy that can come in and operate an offense right off the bat, but his shot is not that great. And then when you look at his form, I'm in's form, it's very clunky. Like it's, yeah. it's not, 
if he had to get a shot off quickly, I don't know if he could do it. And if he did, I think it would, it would be pretty ugly. And that's something just the mechanics of his shot. It's very, the gather is slow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something you can, you see guys that come into the league that have kind of a weird form and then they work with coaches and make small adjustments and they're able to fix that. So these guys are young enough. I don't think that that's going to be a massive issue moving forward, but is it ever going to transition into, you know, uh, I'm in shot when I got it here, 25% from three this year and the, uh, the overtime elite league, are you going to see him be a 35 or 40% three point shooter in his career? I don't know that you'll ever see that happen, but his, his elite athleticism and his ability to read the floor and pass his teammates open, those things are going to get him to the next level to where he can be successful and being able to develop that mid range game to where he can be a threat in the pick and roll a little bit more is going to be what really accelerates him from being a good role player to an elite level player at the NBA level. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that's going to be interesting to me because we've never really had any guys from overtime elite to go this high in the draft. It's going to be interesting to see how that translates because I still don't have a good grasp on that level of basketball. Like, I, I don't know. The competition level is always a question with with overtime elite, and even with the G League. I definitely think the G League is a higher level of competition. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys translate. But I, I think these guys could have would have been talented anywhere. I think they would have would have shown whether they went to the G League overtime and legal college or wherever they went. I think they would have been big time players on any of those levels. Uh, one 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 thing I do like about Asar is uh, I think he's a has big time rebounding potential. I mean, he averaged seven rebounds a game, um, and I think offensive rebounds and putbacks or something that I think that he could be really adept at um, on the next league. And you talked about his, his passing and playmaking. He has a super high IQ. Like you said, man, makes quick decisions uh, when reading the defense as a playmaker. Uh, he penetrates in the lane, maybe draws double team, kicks out the guy, spotting up um, and finds the cutters. I mean, he just does a really good job. And Asara's shot definitely looks better than our men's. I, I think his shot is definitely for a long, but even his is not, consistent um I think he needs to get more consistent because with both of them right now and I know we kind of kind of talking about both of them midway here uh they both are more finishing at the rim right now um I think Asar's mid-range is a, is a little bit better than our men's right now but that's definitely something they got to work on but the elite athleticism the the passing the the IQ I, I think all of those are things that are translate from from day one but as far as playing off the ball because I think both of those guys especially our men is going to have to do that at some point because I think he's more of a combo than a pure point. He's really going to have to to work on that shot because he's not great in ISO situations. Uh, but when when he gets downhill, he can get to the basket. But if he's trying to create off the dribble, that's not something that he's really great at. Uh, same thing with with Asar. They're not really great in ISO situations, and they teams really go under the screen uh, on them, and they don't give them a lot of respect. They kind of sag off of them. When, when they're out there, and those are things that they're going to have to work on. I think if there's any weakness um, in their game, I think that would be it. But um, there's a reason why they're projected to go top five. Man, again, the elite athleticism, you see that. You see the defensive potential uh, from from the Asar on tape, and I think that's something that's going to translate day one. Again, I think he can guard the, the two, three, four uh, it, it, from day one. And, and I, I just love guys that like to play defense because, I mean, that's – Something that some guys they just don't have. They they want to play offense. They'll reluctantly play some defense. But if you have a guy that wants to, wants to go out there and pick up full court, man, that's a that's a, a big time positive. So I, I'm I'm a fan of his man, and I think think he's going to be a good player wherever he lands. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I think you know, like I said, that he had that stretch. Azur had that stretch toward the end of the season where you saw his numbers start to climb. And where I'm in, his numbers have still like. Not that there was no improvement, but his percentages just aren't there. So it's something, the difference in the form, I, I think, is really where you're seeing it. You see Azure get the, the shot off quicker. It just looks a lot better. The mechanics of his shots are, are a lot better. Um, go, going, I, and again, we, we kind of bounce back and forth between these two, essentially because there are a lot of similarities in their game. Yeah, the really size, are. the athleticism. 
uh, I'm in had a 40 inch vertical at uh, over overtime elites measurements. Azura had a 38 inch vertical at six seven. Like <laughs> it's it, it's insane how similar these guys are. You know, like twins a lot of time yeah. are, are very similar, but you know their skill sets may not be exactly the same. And, and these guys are really, really close whenever it comes to that. I think the, you know, the separation Azura's shot. And then I think I'm in is just a better playmaker as far as getting, yeah. his, getting his teammates open. Both of the guys can pass the ball very well, but th- there was some stuff from I'm in on tape where I was like, yeah, that that's, that's an NBA pass. And having the IQ, to see some of the stuff that he sees, like the vision that he sees, it, it that's not something that you see in every prospect. We're seeing more and more big guards. Like you, you go back, um, Cade Cunningham at six eight six nine with the, his ability to pass the ball, and then these guys at six seven. It, it seems like we're getting more big guards that can really just zip the ball. Like they're making plays that typically you're looking at a six foot, six foot, one inch guy making this type of play. And not that the game is evolving any more than what it has really, but it's just weird to me that the skill set that we see from our men is that of more of a, a smaller guard minus the shooting. Yeah. I mean, it's, Definitely, definitely uh, something that we've seen, like you said, Kay Cunningham. That's why I always talk about Penny Hardaway being so ahead of his time because you definitely didn't see it back back then. Um, a guy six seven, six eight, out there playing point guard and high IQ offensively passing the ball the way they do. And, and now you've seen a couple guys. You've seen Kay Cunningham. See these two two guys coming into the league, uh, kind of in, in that same mold. And it's interesting to see if that's going to be something that we see a lot going forward. Uh, but but I mean, one thing that really stood out to me, man, is his first step. I mean, he can go from stand still to full speed on a dime, man. It's just elite. Uh, the way he changes speeds, uh, and he's an above the rim athlete. A lot of that kind of kind of reminds you of John Moran. I know he's a much bigger guard, but the way he can get by guys, he's shifty um, in, in the lane, and that that elite athleticism and finishing ability um, definitely reminds me of him, man. He really excels in the open floor. Um, he, so he's always a lob threat. I mean, you throw it over the top to him. Um, really moves without the basketball really well. Um, has quick hands on defense. Like I said, it sounds like a broken record because a lot of these things are the same things you say about Asar. Um, I mean, he's a pest on the ball defensively. Um, he, he likes to pick up full court as well. I mean, just you can tell these guys are twins, man. They've trained together because they have a lot of the same, same traits. Um, they have a great feel for the game. Um, as a playmaker, uh, they both like to push the ball in transition. Uh, whether they finish it themselves or they like to push it ahead. If you have a guy trolling out to the basket, they find that guy up ahead to finish at the rim. Just, just a lot of similarities between these two guys. Um, so what I saw, I got it in my notes here. Great no look passer. Um, I noticed that on film. Uh, puts a lot of zip on the basketball. You kind of know, mentioned that a second ago. Uh, penetrates into the lane. Uh, does a really good job of reading the defense. And, and makes the right play, uh, really high IQ. Uh, if I mean, just it's it, that here. Um, he converted at a 74.3% clip at the rim, um, and 59.2% at the rim and half court, which is those are absolutely ridiculous numbers, uh, for, for our men. I mean, just a, a, a elite finisher at the rim. Uh, he can finish with both hands, which is a big plus. A lot of times guys can, can only go can finish with one, he can finish with both. So he's ambidextrous. Uh, so I think that makes makes him a re- really good prospect. I mean, both of both of these players, they're gonna be really, really good players in this league. Have any question about that? Uh, but again, I think the perimeter and ISO skills are the main things that they need to work on. And as you said, I think Asar is even a, more ahead than Amin. Amin is mostly projected to go first, but I, I I mean, you could put these two players in a basket, a basket, and I'm not I'm not sure if I wouldn't go Asar first. Um, I, I think overall, Asar might be the more talented of the two. Uh, but I, I think, I mean, being that the point guard is in, in that mold, I think that kind of is the reason why a lot of people see him over Asar. But I mean, I think both of these guys are going to be really, really good players in this league. And, and I understand why, why they protect the top five. Um, I like them both. I just, 
the question, the big question for me is, and I'm going to continue to watch this as time goes on, is overtime elite and ignite guys, especially going this high. Because uh, we really, these guys haven't really gone this high in the draft. I don't think we've seen any go top five. Uh, we've had guys that have gone lower in the first round, but it's just going to be interesting to see how they translate. Obviously, Asar and our men were featured in, in overtime of the league. Uh, you, in, in, a lot of times with G League at night, you will have those guys come in, and they're not really the featured guys. They'll have some older guys on their team, some guys that have played some time in the NBA, and they'll get more minutes. Sometimes they even come off the bench, and then they go in the NBA, and it's interesting to see how, how they translate. We have Jaden Hardy in Dallas who kind of came on late in the year. We'll see how he continues to develop. But that's something that, I, that I've been really intrigued by. And overtime elite even more because I, I think the G League is probably a higher level of competition than, than the teams they play. Uh, but now we have two guys going to the top five. So you really be have on display like how that translates. So I'm definitely going to be interested to watch that and see and, and be interested in their transition and to the next level. Yeah, I was trying to see what well, I think that. Sorry, man. The who was the the guy that went to the Spurs from overtime elite? Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was trying to think of his Barlow, name. Don, Dominic Barlow. Yeah, Dominic Barlow. Yeah. yeah, but you know, we we haven't we haven't seen anybody from the overtime elite league really get to the NBA and and flourish yet. And Barlow is like he was cooking in the G League. He had some monster games in the G League for the Spurs G League affiliate. So the talent was there for him, and I think that these guys are obviously a step above where he was last year, but there are a lot of new paths to the NBA, and I think it's – I don't know that it's any tougher, but but it's definitely like it's an added level, like an added layer when you're trying to break down what these guys are doing. Like – elite talent at at the college level is going to rise above and you're going to see them kind of flourish at the college level and NBA level players are just going to be a step above the rest of the guys around them. These other guys in the overtime elite league are college level talent. How many of these guys are NBA level talent? I think, you know, just by volume alone, you're going to have more NBA level talent at the college level and I, I think over these next probably four or five years, we're really going to be able to tell, okay, wh- which way is going to be the best way for these guys to go, and can you count on what they're doing at the overtime elite level to translate to the NBA level? And for these these two specifically, their elite athleticism alone is like they are NBA level athletes. Yeah, no question. And, that they need to work on whenever they get to that level. But there's no doubt that these guys are NBA level talent. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. Both of them big time, big time above the rim athletes. Uh, that, And I, I think defensive, de- defensively, I think both of them will translate almost immediately as well. Um, they're, they're just some guys that you can watch even on a lower level that you know, okay, they'll be able to guard um, on, on the next level. So I don't think there's – any question about that? I think the ever evolving offensive game is what's what's going to be for what's going to what you're going to need to watch uh, from those two guys. I think our men, like I said, right now is basically defense finishing at the rim and playmaking. I mean, he's not going to give you much day one on the outside. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be a little rough for him on the perimeter. Like you said, his shot is a little wonky, um, and, and sometimes you can fix that. I mean, there have been guys that have come into the league with some. Some weird shots. I mean, Sean Marion is a huge example of that. Uh, somehow he became a better shooter. I mean, it was still wasn't great. It, it got better as time went on. He became a, a good three-point shooter. Yeah, but but it, his shot was still wonky, but it was better than it was when he first came in the league. And sometimes you get into the NBA with these shooting coaches, man, and they can, they can really help help you out there. Uh, because I think with their athleticism and the, the, the things they can do, if they can develop that jump shot, kind of similar to what we talked about, about with John Moran. If he could ever develop that mid-range and, and, and get that outside shot a little bit more consistent, he'd be unguardable. Um, and that's kind of the same thing with our men. If he could develop that mid-range more and that, that perimeter shot, he's going he's gonna to be a guy that you really can't guard, especially at 6'7". I mean, you're talking about 6'7". He's going to be going up against guys 6'2", 6'3", 
most nights. I mean, he's going to be hard to deal with. So he has a skill set, man. If if he could just get that jump shot, man, to, to be even, I don't think he'll ever be an elite level shooter. But if he can get it even decent, I mean, he's going to be really, really, really hard to guard. Yeah, I, I always go back to like when I'm looking at guys that came into the league that struggled shooting the ball that developed into a pretty good shooter by the end of their career. Kimball Walker is a guy when he first yeah. came in the league, man, he struggled hard. Like he, I, I know, I don't remember how many seasons it was, but it was for at least the first maybe two or three, I think he was statistically the, the worst impact shooter on any team in the league because he was high volume and missing a lot from three. And then you, you saw him gradually getting better. He put the work in. And so it's all about work ethic. And that's something that these guys, the, the twins have been praised for is they, they are not afraid to work. They're coachable. That's something, you know, I, I feel like a lot of kids get told how great they are through the AAU circuit and they become uncoachable because their head gets so big and they think yeah, that they know yeah. everything. Yeah, they don't put it into work anymore. Yeah, and, and that's I was watching a, a video, and uh, and Kent Bazemore was talking about how they like he's like I've been in the league for ten years and these guys match the athleticism of some of the best players that I played up against in the NBA, and they're coachable, and, and that's something I see it on a local level. Kids that play AAU ball that mouth their coach and won't listen and, and think that they're above that. And then you see guys like Marvin Bagley. You see guys like Ben Simmons that have this elite level talent, but their camp will never give them a reality check. And that has seemed to be a problem a couple of different times. And so it's good to hear guys that have this level of talent do not have the ego issues and they are coachable. Yeah, you could be a blessing and a curse. It could be fantastic because it, it keeps these guys playing basketball pretty much year round. But you also these guys get built up so high that they sometimes they get to a point to where they feel like, oh well, I'm the best player in the world, and nobody can tell me anything. I can't get better at anything. I'm elite. And then you you get to the NBA, and you realize that that is not the case, man. You got to keep working. I mean, you you look at back at the elite players, guys like. Kobe Bryant and, and Michael Jordan and LeBron, these guys never stop working. I mean, you there's never a point to where you get to where you shouldn't you feel like, okay, well, this I'm done. Like I don't have to work on my game. I don't have to hone my craft anymore. That I'm done, man. You gotta gotta have that drive, man, to, to keep working. And a lot of times these kids get blown up so high when when they're young, they just feel like they don't have to put that work in anymore. And that can that's how it can be a bad thing. All right, man. We we've uh we stressed the talk on the twins. We kind of mixed them, like the, the talking about them, kind of mixed both of them in. But rest assured, these are two different prospects. Their skill sets are very similar. One excels at initiating offense, running the pick and roll. The other one is a better shooter at this point, but he still has playmaking skills. Two different prospects, two prospects that are definitely worthy uh, of a lottery pick. Um let, let, let's move on to who I feel like. Yeah, I'll let you take the lead like on he, this one. He, he's, he's the surefire number two pick, in my opinion, unless you end up with some sort of wonky circumstance where the Pistons end up with number two. And because of their guard situation with Ivy and Cade Cunningham, I don't think that they take him. But anybody else in the league is, is taking Scoot Henderson too. And I, I said it earlier the more I watch film on this kid, the more I think that I would take him <laughs> over Victor. Man. And it's it's not a knock on Victor because Victor's game is incredible. You watch him, take. him. Like we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get to, to Victor before we wrap up the show. But Scoot's six two, six nine wingspan. So the the height is not gonna be an issue because of that wingspan. He's going to be able to guard guys at this level. If he puts in the effort, that's kind of a question mark is what's he going to do defensively in the league? Crazy explosive athlete, great decision maker. His mid-range game is going to absolutely wreck 
NBA drop defense. It's going to kill it. He can manipulate the pick and roll right now better than a lot of guys that have been in the league multiple years. His ability to pass the ball, the live dribble passing, he can put the ball anywhere that he wants it. And some of these skills that you're seeing with him running the pick and roll in the G League, those are 100% day one going to translate at the NBA level. And I think personally that he's a franchise-changing player. This is a guy, you know, let's say Houston, for example. Houston right now does not have a true point guard on that roster. I don't want to see it, man. If Scoot ends up in nasty. With the amount of talent they have, that that it's going to be disgusting down there. That team is going to go from lottery to a playoff team, I think, immediately based off of what he's going to be able to do with this offense. And, again, like I said, I feel like the more that I watch him, I would take him over Victor. But I, I know that I'm going to be in the minority on that, and that's okay. I just have reservations about Victor and what he's going to be able to do at the next level. Yeah, that, that's a scorching hard take. Like, you, you're definitely going to be in the, the minority on that one. But I definitely agree with you, man. Scoot is tremendous talent. I have this written down in my notes here. Absolute terror when teams play drop coverage. He's going to absolutely murder uh, drop drop coverage. But a lot, a lot of things you said, man, just an insane athlete. Has crazy hops, uh, great bursts. I mean, he's really good at at changing speeds. Um, a la a guy that we call 12 here in Memphis. Um, almost impossible to stay in front of defensively, man. You you can't stay in front of him. Like that first step, I mean, he's just gonna if he catches you flat footed, man, it's barbecue chicken. He's at the rim uh before you can <laughs> before you can turn around, man. But he's fun to watch in the open court, man. He finishes high above the rim. Um, always a lob threat in transition. One of his go-tos, uh, he has this in and out dribble uh that he uses to get past defenders. I saw him use that a lot on film. Uh, doesn't need a screen to get past his man. If, if like I said, if he catches you flat footed, I mean, he's just dribble right past you. Uh, really good as a cutter, um, off the ball, uh, gets off the ground quickly, which allows him to challenge his shots at the rim. He's a good shot blocker, uh, for, for a guy six, two, um, really good with the pull up midi, as you talked about. And I think that's the thing that separates him from our men. If you're looking at the top point guards in the draft, I think his shooting, um, is much farther along than, than our men's, even from the perimeter. Um, he's a better shooter. He's not great for the perimeter, but he's improved a lot. If you kind of watch yeah, him from early on in the season, he really improved on, on his on his three point shooting and pull up jumpers as the season went on. So I, I think that is what really separates him from our men. I don't think there's really not any question. Like if you you're looking for a point guard, you're top of this draft. I think you're definitely definitely gonna go with Scoot Henderson. Um, over the two, I just think his game is far far as alone. Um, he also has the the, the floater. I mean, he has this this like push shot floater. He does it all the way out to the free throw line. I mean, he can really get to that pretty easily. Um, elite body control. I mean, he can stop on a dime to pull up for the midi or the floater uh, after driving full speed. After, like I said, absolute terror, man. When when you if you play drive coverage on him, you it's barbecue chicken. Like you yeah, said, it's, every, it's every done, time, man. man. Yeah, yeah, man. You can. That's, if you get if you have a big that's dropping and he just yeah, he's melting you with that mid range. His ability to change speeds, it, it's so insane. Like if that big tries to cheat him because he's been knocking down that mid range, he's going to blow right past that big and get to the basket. Like he is, he's crazy fast with the basketball. Like a, a guy that I, I think he didn't end up panning out too well in the NBA, but uh, Ty Lawson at North Carolina. Yeah. Which, you know, like he, well, he had, a decent NBA career, but he wasn't like, I thought he was going to be a star because of his ability to change speeds with the wall. He was pretty good for a while. And he just fell off. I don't know what happened with him, but But scoots ability, like to, to change speeds at mid range, he's going to make people pay. He doesn't have like the perimeter shot is not there yet. He shot, uh, I think 28%. Yeah. 28%. On uh, on five attempts this season, it, it that's not going to cut it, right? You're you're going to need that number to get better. But the fact that that mid range kind of got better as the season went along makes me think he's going to be able to stretch that out eventually. It's just going to take him a little bit of time. But even if he doesn't develop that three point shot, 
his mid-range game and his ability to get to the bucket is going to be enough to carry him for a long time in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's just like we say here with Ja Morant. If, if he develops that mid-range game, even at the three-point, like if, if he's shooting 33, 34, 35% from three, if he develops that mid-range game, it's over. Like you can't guard him. And that's If you like Ja Morant coming into the league, you should definitely like Scoot Anderson uh, because – like I said, the John didn't come in and get into the league with mid-range. Scoot already has the mid-range game down. I, I think that's a big plus. And if John translates, I think Scoot will, will translate as well. I don't think there's any question. His his bust potential is almost zero. Uh, but just because of that mid-range game and the, the lead athleticism and the fact that the way that he can get to the rim, there's like zero percent chance to me that he's not going to at least be good um, in the league. I don't think there's any question. I mean, one, one thing that I do like about him a lot is, is he's patient. Uh, when, when teams go under the pick and roll, um, he's super poised and under control at all times. It just doesn't seem like he ever gets sped up. Like you, you see a lot of these guards, they get, get out of control, get sped up. That's something that you don't really see from Scoop. He, he's really poised and really under control. Um, and he's deadly off ghost screens, uh, with, with, with shooters. I mean, that's something I saw. And, and he's an elite at finding spot up shooters, uh, off of, uh, of dribbles off the dribble. I mean, uh, he's elite finding spot up shooters off the dribble. He keeps the ball on the screen, keeps the dribble alive. Um, if, if you put in with a big man that can finish, man, there, there, it's going to be almost impossible to guard. I mean, he's a fantastic passer and pick and roll. I mean, he gets into the NBA with a, a really good big, like if he was playing with somebody like say Anthony Davis, man, uh-huh. if that could, I know that's not going to happen, but if you could put him with a big man like that, man, I, I don't know what they would average together. So he goes to Houston, man. You get it put in with Jalen Green, man. I know that's a little bit undersized, but they got talent down there. Um, I think Sengun would really benefit from having a guy like that. Um, I, I think he's going to be a, a tremendous talent. Um, again, I think if Jabba Rand translate, I don't see any way Scoot Henderson d- doesn't translate. Not saying he's necessarily going to be Jabba Rand, but he's coming in with that mid-range, and that's something that we're still trying to find. Here, a few years later here with John Morant. So uh, school's going to be a, a big time player, man. I don't think there's any question. I'm, I'm not taking him over Victor. I'm not there yet, but as a prospect, man, I, I think he has a chance to be, like you said, a, a, a franchise level player. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. I think to me, going back a couple years and even moving forward a couple years, any other draft besides this one, Scoot goes number one overall, in my opinion. Like, yeah, I, I, think, I agree like, with that. If, if, if he was eligible to go last year, I'm yeah, taking he, over he Vanchero. And, and that's, you know, like Vanchero was great this year. Like, it's not, it's not a knock. I, you don't have to tear down the other guys. It's just what he has. And he, he's young. He's, Typically, a guy his age is not going to be able to absorb contact the way that he is. That he's not going to manipulate the pick and roll the way that Scoot is doing it, and he's doing it at an insane level for this age. So when when he gets to the NBA, that's already there, and then you have upside from there. And it's like, okay, what is this kid's upside? Where is he going to be? Is he going to end up? You know, like is he an All Star player? I said he's a franchise-changing player. Does he end up being one of the best guards to ever play the game? And I I don't like putting that kind of weight on a player this early in their career, but he definitely has the tools that it wouldn't surprise me if we're eight to ten years down the road having that conversation about Scoot. He also has the confidence. That's another thing that I like about him. When you watch him in interviews, you can tell that he's a dog. He's one of those players that he wants to be the best player on the court. And there's a lot of players that don't have that. And that's something that he has at a young age. I mean, he's only 19 years old. And I think that a lot of times when you match that with the skills, the bag that he has, I think it's going to be a hard time seeing him not reach his ceiling. And if he reaches his ceiling, we're talking about something crazy. I don't think there's any question. All right. So we're talking about ceilings. We're going to finish up this episode with the guy that has possibly the highest ceiling ever. And, and Isaac, I, you know, I, I took the lead with Scoot. So I'll throw this to, to you because I said that I would take Scoot over him. That there are a lot of things to like about Victor Wibanyama. 
there are some holes in his game that I think get overlooked because of his size and skill set. And so that's what kind of gives me reservations about him. But tell everybody what they need to know about Mr. Wibinyala. Yeah, man. I'm like I said, even before I start breaking down film on him, I was already a, a huge fan. I mean, you know how crazy this is. He's looked at as being one of the best prospects ever. I mean, we throw the word generational around a lot, but when it comes to women, y'all, man, I think if he stays healthy, I think there's real. I said earlier, uh, got to kind of go with my comments last year and kind of rib David a little bit. I said, he's what Chet thinks he is. Uh, but if, to me, I think that's real. Uh, but you talked about seven, five, 220 pounds, uh, eight foot wingspan. Kids only 19 years old. I think, the ultimate unicorn. Uh, that's what I call him. I think we've got a lot of guys, unicorns. I think he might actually be the unicorn. Uh, you look up rim protection in the dictionary and there's a picture of Victor women. I mean, he blocks shots everywhere. Chase downs, isolations, help sides. Uh, I mean, he's an absolute machine. Block shots on the perimeter. Doesn't even have to jump, um, on a lot of them at seven five, man. He's flat footed, uh, blocking shots completely alters in Rex and uh, the offensive. Those are teams' offensive game plan at times, man, because if you're an opposing team, you have to be conscious of where he is at all times because he's blocking shots from everywhere. Uh, he covers so much ground, man, With even when he looks like he's beat. Uh, I mean, he's still able to to come back and, and, and recover and block shots just because of his length and his strides. Um, he may be one of the best pick-and-roll defenders I've ever seen. Uh, he's so long, like I said, that never really out of the play. Uh, it's just... It's man, it's just scary, scary stuff, man. When you when you when you watch it, watch it on film. Um, has a really, really, really smooth jump shot. Possibly to best for for a guy outside that's seven foot outside of Dirk. I don't think outside of Dirk. I don't think I've ever seen a guy at seven foot with a jump shot smooth as he is. Uh, really excels in ISO situations, creating space for the pull up with his dribble. Um, he also uh, uses the moves to be able to get to the uh to the basket and. and he gets there, but he gets there, gets there quickly. Uh, at seven five, as I said, man, the, the strides that he takes, it doesn't take him but a couple steps, uh, to get to the basket. If he ever gets to the basket, he's going to finish. I mean, not many guys are going to stop somebody seven five, uh, at, at the basket. So you got to try to try to stop him before he gets there. And if he gets to the basket, he's pretty much money. Um, he, he pretty much do it all, man, to turn around, step back, uh, the sidestep jump shot. I mean, there's really no bottom to this man's bag, I man. Honestly, I don't know how you guard him. I mean, when I watch him on film, I, I just think about both sides are, aren't going to be able to keep up with him because he's going to pull you away from the basket. And then on, on the inside, I think it's 7-5. I mean, there's not a lot of 7-5 guys in the league. I mean, you might be able to push him off the spot. But I, I just think the reason what separates him from Chet for me is I, I trust his perimeter skills more. I know David said his, that Chet's three-point percentage was higher, but I, I think that was a small sample size. I trust if I had a guy, one of these guys hit a three, it would be Victor Wembanyama over Chet. I would take him nine, nine times out of 10 over, over him. And I, I just don't think Chet doesn't have the perimeter skills. I think Chet's going to have to do a little bit more on the inside. I, I think Victor could live on a perimeter if he had to. I mean, this man has a, a pull up runner three point shot in his bag. I mean, what are we talking about, man? Like what he does on the defensive end and, his bag on offense, I, we just never seen anything like it. Like, it's a real unicorn, and I just don't know who you guard him with because fours are going to be too small, and he's going to be too quick to, for fives to guard him. There's just – I mean, whatever team gets him, man, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a terror for the league. I tweeted that out earlier. The only thing that can stop Victor for me is injury. Uh, anytime you have a guy that tall at 7'5", you're worried about lower body, leg, knee injuries, and things like that. But if he stays healthy, man, I, I think the generational word with him is real. I think day one, he's definitely on the defensive end, day one going to be able to do what he does. And I, I just don't know how you guard him. Um, I, I, mean, you, I know you talked about Scoot, and uh, we, we've seen tra transitional guards coming in the league, but guys with the skill set that Victor has at 7'5", we've just never seen it. We've never seen a 7'5 guy that can move the way he does, move his feet the way he does, has a, a smooth jump shot the way he does. It's just, I mean, I think he's a generational star, and the only thing for me that can slow him down is injuries. I, I, I don't have any questions about his game translating to the next level. Yeah, and, and I'm not even like the injury thing with him is not something. He's been healthy, and you have people. It, I feel like people get generic with it, right? Like, 
oh, well, he's he's tall and skinny, so he's going to be injury prone. I, like By the time the playoffs finish over there in the league that he's in, I think he's going to be close to 50 games played this year. So, like, yeah, 50 is not 82, and, and I do understand that. But I, I'm not overly concerned with that, man. He he moves his feet better than most guys his size, and that's something he's definitely more fleet of foot than what Chet is. That That's what allows him to make mistakes on the defensive end and be able to recover from it. I just wonder when you get, you know, the the step up to the NBA, there's going to be an adjustment there for him because the speed is going to be slightly faster. Is he going to be able to, if he makes a mistake on defense in the NBA, is he going to be able to make that adjustment fast enough to get back? And I, I think eventually the answer to that is yes. Is it going to be day one? I, I don't know. But I, he definitely has a lot of stuff, that, his ability to handle the ball for his size. He can rebound and run it like that. That's not going to be an issue for him. But the the perimeter stuff, like for as much as you crapped on Chet last year, <laughs> it surprises me that you're giving him so much credit because I, he's Chet's just better, three man. Point, like Chet's three point shooting numbers, it's not just I mean, a little got, bit better. It's ten percent better. A, a slow release, man. I, I just he's he's eight hundred foot tall. Ain't nobody blocking it. It don't matter if it's slow. Like I, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't trust. If, if I had, a, if I had to take one of them to hit a three pointer, I'm still taking Victor. That's me. Like I don't care what those numbers say. I've watched, <laughs> watched Victor. I just feel like he's a better perimeter player than Chet. Like I, I feel like Chet is more of inside out. I feel like Victor is more really a wing that's seven five, and I don't feel like Chet's a wing that's that's seven foot. Like I don't, I don't feel like that. I feel like Chet is a guy that can can hit a shot if if he's open. Like it, it, uh, both of those threes that he hit at Gonzaga were wide open threes. When guys closed out on him, he didn't hit a lot of those shots. He only he really only took them when he was wide open. That's why I don't. I think a lot of chess three point shooting. I don't really believe in it. We'll see next year, but I don't believe he's a good as good of a three point shooter as people are making him out to be. Because again, the sample size was small, and most of those shots were wide open. Like I know you say nobody can block them, but if if you could put a guy out there, you have to. It gives you something to think about, even if they can't block the shot. Yeah, yeah, I get it, man. I understand you have res- reservations about it. That's and, and that's just where I am with Victor. And it's not, I, I don't have so many reservations that oh, if if I had the number one pick, I'm gonna be mad that my team <laughs> took Wibanyama because you just you don't like if you're the GM, you take him with the number one pick. It's just what you do, and, and I just he he's his decision making. He's at like 3.5 turnovers a game playing with the professionals in the leagues that, that he's in right now. And I talked about the speed of the NBA. If he's making turnovers in that league, he's making bad decisions in that league, those are going to be amplified at the NBA level. And so my thing is, I think that women Yama is going to be successful in the NBA, but I think that there's a lot of people that think he's just going to come over here and cook from day one. Man, I do. I'm I'm not buying that, man. (laughs) I'm not buying that at all. And and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong on plenty of things before, and I'll be wrong again. But I just think that the the adjustment in the speed of the game is going to be his biggest struggle. Like, is he going to be able to shoot the ball? Yeah, that like shooting the ball, that's going to translate. He's still going to be able to dribble the ball. He's still going to be able to do a lot of the things that he's doing over there. But the poor decision-making, I think, gets amplified at the NBA level because the athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. And I, I think that the mistakes that he makes on the defensive end that he can recover from in the league that he's playing in right now, there's going to be some of those that he doesn't recover from early in the NBA. I think that he gets better as that better at that as the season goes along. And maybe even by the end of his first season, he has that figured out, but I just don't think that he's going to be a guy that that's lighting the world on fire straight out of the gate. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can agree with you on the turnovers. I think some of the stuff he does, and I kind of wrote some notes down here. I wrote down being as talented as he is. There are a lot of times where, Again, he's so much more talented than those guys that he just tries stuff. Like I watched this on on film. Like he just 
does stuff that that he maybe he won't try when he gets to the NBA, but he's so much better than those guys. He does a lot of things that just just crazy stuff that he that because he can do it. He can get away with it. And I think sometimes that leads to turnovers. Now, if he tries to do that same thing in the league, he is gonna go turn the ball over. Because if he's averaging three there and he tries to do some of that wild stuff, it's definitely gonna lead to turnovers in the NBA because those guys are bigger, like you said, faster, stronger and and, and more more able to defend him than those guys in that league. But it's just, it also depends on what team he goes to. Um, I mean, if, if he goes somewhere, which I, you look at those teams, I don't know if he goes to Detroit, none of those teams really have a, a great point guard. Because I was going to say, if you put up with a great point guard, he might not have to do some of the things and create as much as he does out on the perimeter if he's playing with a better point guard. But I just think, man, it, with his length, like you talk about the recovery when he makes mistakes on defense, I, I still think, I think he'll be able to do that in the NBA. I just think he's so long at, Seven five that he he still will be able to to recover because it just doesn't take much. I mean his strides are so long he takes one step and he's back into play. Like it, it's it's crazy, man. Like I, I watched it on film. I was already a, a huge fan, man, and watching it on film, I've just become even a a bigger fan. But we'll see. Uh, but I, I just think he's a generation generation. Man, I can't even talk tonight. <laughs> What am I trying to say? Generational uh, talent. Generational, generational talent. Um, and I think he's in the truest sense of the word. I think we say that about a lot of players, but I, I think it's real with him. Like, I, I think we can look up eight, ten years down the line, again, if he doesn't suffer any significant injuries where he could – we could be talking about another GOAT, uh, like like we're talking about. We're talking about guys like Kareem and like Ted. I mean, I think he has that type of talent. It's, it's nuts. Oh, the ceiling for this kid. Yeah, and that the again, my take on Scoot was not at all a, a knock. I talked about some negatives for Wibanyama, but I want I, I want to do that because if all if you watch film and all you want to look at is a positive on on any of these four guys that we talked about, like there's a lot. Like you you can watch and you're like, man, but. So some of the stuff, some of the mistakes that these guys are making is youth. Like the, the 19 years old, some of the stuff that he's trying after you're a veteran, after you've been in the league four, five, six, seven years, you're not going to try some of that stuff anymore. You don't want to hear what the coach has to say. You don't want to make your teammates mad. Like that there's things that happen as you age in the game that we will not see from these guys as a, but you know, as they're in the league a little bit long, longer, but I think whoever gets pick number one and pick number two in this draft is going to be very happy because I think either one of these guys can be franchise changing. And I'm just hoping that it's not the Spurs. Don't, <laughs> don't want to deal with that. Yeah, but, Pop, Pop's going to go 20 more years. He get Victor. Yeah. Or, or scoop. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's uh that's our five for today. We will try it. Like it's not a guaranteed. So, you know, this is a Grizzlies podcast. This is the sports ethos Grizzlies podcast. It's not a guarantee that we're going to talk about prospects. Every episode that the Grizzlies could possibly get, we're going to go through, we're going to knock out as many as we can. If there are guys that we, that they work out and we know that they worked them out, we will talk about them along the way. But, you know, if you followed us over the last few years, whenever we're doing this, you know, we're 50, 60, 70, 80 prospects deep by the time this thing is over. So we're going to try and bring you as much coverage of these draft draft prospects as we can. We will get you as much Grizzlies-related content as we can. But it, it's good to know about these guys. These are going to be guys that the Grizzlies are going to be facing. We're going to see them at the FedEx Forum you know, and and some of these guys are going to be in the league for years to come. So, you know, getting to learn about them early is good. If you like the game, you like basketball, you're staying tuned in with us. So you must like it a little bit. We we, uh, we appreciate that. But uh, just keep in mind, even though it is a Grizzly show, we will not always have a prospect that is Grizzlies related. And that's just going to that, – that's going to be how it is this year because, to be honest with you, if the Grizzlies did not make a single pick in this draft, I would be super happy. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I would love it if they just move these picks to make some upgrades to the squad so they could push for a championship next year. But we're still going to cover them. Whether they draft any of them or not, we're going to cover them. Just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So we'll go ahead and get out of here. We appreciate you guys tuning in. 
The show is on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I'm at NBA D Will 2 1. Candace, our co host, uh, she will not be involved much in the draft talk, but we will get her back in here for, um, we're going to do some end of the season grades for the players this season. We're talking about free agent stuff. As news happens, Candace will be back on with us, but she is at Candace H901. Isaac's going to let you know where you can find him and give us some closing thoughts. Yeah, man, we didn't we didn't, didn't get it to cover as many prospects as we usually do last year uh, because of how deep the Grizzlies went in the playoffs. That was the first time they had actually gone that deep. So we're a little bit earlier, so we probably can get try to get probably 90% in this year because uh, it's much earlier than we usually started. So I think that's, a I guess, a positive if you want to spin it that way for the Grizzlies being out earlier. Uh, but the Grizzlies, as David said, man, if it's up to me, I would prefer for them to, to move all those picks for vets. I, I think the they have enough developmental pieces on the roster, but I know that's not going to be the case. They have three picks currently in this draft. They have the 25th pick in the first round. Uh, they have the 45th pick in the second round via Minnesota, and they also have their own second round at 56. So sitting on three picks right now, man, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say they execute at least one of those, uh, if not two, those two second round picks. I, I think that 25th pick might be one that they attempt to move in a, in a deal for a veteran, man. But it, it's it's a fun time of the year, one of my favorite times of the year. Never really felt like I didn't want the Grizzlies to, to take anybody, but I, I think, man, it's time to kind of move on. Uh, you're a contending team, and you've, you've taken a lot of rookies. you got a lot of developmental guys off the bench. I think it's time to, to, to get some more vets in there and kind of work on developing the guys that you already have. But, man, you can find the show at Ethos Grizzlies. As David said, go over there and give us a like and a follow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore NBA. Uh, we'll definitely be back with, with four more prospects here in the next couple of days, so be on the lookout for that. So until next time, we're gone. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.